And do you know what you've just sung? You have sung a modern version of the 4th century Apostles' Creed, and I think that's awesome. I hope you believe every word of it. Amen? Amen. All right, good. Good to be with you today. I was with you last time as a worshiper on Easter Sunday. And I don't know about you, but where has the summer gone? It has flown by. By the way, are we going to turn the lights up? I like to see who I'm talking to. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. But about that time, Pastor Mark said, would you preach? And I thought, oh, that's a light year away till I come here and preach. And now here it is, September 9, and Pastor Mark has almost finished his sabbatical. It's hard to believe. But by the way, I've been doing interim work for five years, and uh, two of the churches I was at, they had staff, large staffs, and a couple of the pastors were really tired, really tired. So we arranged interims for them, and uh, by the time the new pastor came, these pastors were very rested. And I just am so glad that Pastor Mike had, Pastor Mark had the opportunity to have a sabbatical because it pays dividends. He'll be rested, he'll have uh, renewal in his heart, and uh, so I'm just glad. To, uh... By the way, I have a lot of respect for First Alliance Church. I've known every senior pastor since the days of Bob Turner. Anybody remember Bob Turner? A few of you, okay. Shows you how old I am, huh? Okay, and uh, uh, I've seen you grow from 400 to where you are right now. And I was thinking about the book of Second Thessalonians and how Paul was commending them for their influence in the churches around them. And I was thinking about the influence you have as First Alliance Church on the Erie, Erie area churches and beyond about your gospel outreach and your faith. And I just commend you for being a church that loves and follows the Lord and has influence in other churches. A little bit about me. Uh, many of you already know me. Some of you don't. But uh, 40 years ago, I, I went to first Excuse me, Grace Church. I was at first another one. There we go. I was at First Baptist, the, the last church I was at. But Grace Church on uh, West 38th Street, and then it relocated. I was there, senior pastor, for 32 years and 35 total. And then in 2010, I turned the reins over to Pastor Derek Sanford, and uh, I went into interim work. Been married to my dear wife, Marie, for 48 years, and we have four grown children. We have eight grandchildren. And over those 40 years, we've come to love Erie, all except for the snow. Uh, I, I like that. But all you have to know, I'm disturbed that the National Weather Service took away 32 inches of our snow. I don't like that at all. I was hopeful for the record. Today, I want to speak on facing the storms of life. And I don't know about you, but as I look out in the world, there's a lot of storms out there, all the way from politics to world unrest to people's personal lives to murders and all. You, know, you, you turn on the news, and I become depressed, and my wife keeps on saying, would you turn the other channel, to get to another, get off the news? And yeah, it can be depressing. But the reality is... All of us are going to face storms in life, and yours may not make the news, but you're going to feel the effect, the full brunt of your storms. The Lord led me to a passage today about storms in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, an amazing account that scared the disciples half to death. 
They didn't know what was going to happen. How would they face their storm? And if you were on that boat, how would you have faced that storm? Well, let's refresh our hearts and our minds about that text. I'm going to have you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as I read from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? You may be seated. Someone has said that we're all in one of three conditions. Some of us are heading into the storm. We may know it, we may not. Some of us are in a storm. We know it for sure. And some of it have just left the storm or we've left it a while ago. But we're in one of those conditions. And I don't know where you are, but today you are in one of those three categories. And I think as we look at this passage of Scripture, every single one of us will relate to that. Now, they were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm came up. They were absolutely terrified. My wife and I have been on the Sea of Galilee 11 times. We've been on a boat. No storm has ever arisen. It was a very, very calm. But it was interesting. Every time I have been on the Sea of Galilee, I have thought of this account. And I can almost guarantee you, Pastor Mark was in the Holy Land last June, that when he was on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, I can almost assure you that he was thinking about the very same story that we're talking about today. Now, the Sea of Galilee is notorious for its storms. It's surrounded by ravines and valleys, and it sits 686 feet below sea level. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. And when those sudden winds churn and go down those ravines in the valley, it churns that storm, that churns the sea like a, a blender. Now, as I look at this story, if I were a preacher that liked to tickle your ears, I'd find a way to dance around this storm episode. I'd like to tell you that once you meet Christ, your storms are over. Or that it's not God's will for you to be in a storm. So think positive thoughts and you'll bring out the sunshine. Or storms come to people who sin too much. Or storms come to people because they have lack of faith. I want you to know that stuff is not in the Bible. So don't believe it. It's another gospel. So I want to move to my big idea today. And I want you to get this at your core. Storms and Jesus go together as part of our true Christian experience in life. Storms and Jesus go together. Christians have storms in their life. And if anybody else teaches you anything different, they're not telling you the truth. Well, since storms and Jesus go together, I want you to understand five powerful truths from this storm episode in Luke 8. 
Regardless if you're heading into the storm, in it or out of it, I think it's going to be applicable to you. And I really believe there are a number of you today who are leaning forward because you are in a storm right now and you're asking God to say something to you and your troubled heart. So here's the first truth. We've already alluded to it. Truth number one, storms are part of the Christian life. Amen? Amen. They're part of the Christian life. Now, whether we admit it or not, there's kind of this subconscious feeling in most of us that if you're a Christian, you get a storm exemption. You get a detour around the storm. It's going to come to your pagan neighbor, but it's not going to come to you. And somehow we believe that we'll get by without storms. That notion is so wrong. And so some preachers have taken to the airwaves in our country for three generations. And they told people that God wants you to be healthy and prosperous. That our problems and our storms are a result of our sin or our lack of faith. That is not true. Where does the rain fall? It falls on the just and the unjust, right? And the storms the same way. They come to those who know the Lord and they come to those who do not know the Lord. In fact, Romans 8 and many other passages say that all of us, whether we be un-Christian or Christian, we live in a storm-infected world. Romans 8. And so it was an ordinary day in Galilee when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, you understand that the other side of the lake is where few people hung out. And probably the disciples and Jesus were tired. Yeah, Jesus got tired too. And they needed a breather. They wanted to get away from all the stress and the trouble of ministry. So they were going to go to the other side, away from the crowds, and rejuvenate somewhat. They wanted to be home alone. Do you ever think of your house as on the other side of the lake? Maybe during the day you got all kinds of pressure and you just, you just want to go home. You just want to get on the other side and relax for a while before you have to go out and face the day again. But when you walk through the door on the other side of the lake, you're home. You can sense the atmosphere. Something's wrong. They don't want to tell you what's going on, but something isn't quite the way. You're going to have some trouble at home. And so you find out that the car bill you thought was going to be $300 repair is $900. And then they tell you, oh, by the way, the hot water uh, tank had a leak and the basement is flooded with water. And, And by the way, the disposal, it doesn't work anymore. It makes a bad noise. And the new carpet we have, the dog did his business on it. All kinds of things. And you hear these things. You say, oh, man, I don't want this. But you know, you see people wanting to get in the boat to the other side all the time, and and, and they're expecting that they're not going to have problems, especially our young people. And if you're a young person, I want you to know you should have that optimism. You should have that idea things are going to be smooth for you. But I watch the young people get in all kinds of boats, the career boat and the marriage boat and the college boat and the parenting boat. And they're so excited to get in, and it looks like clear sailing. And they have no idea that a storm is going to come, and then they come. And for some of the young people, big problems, marital problems, financial reversals, miscarriages, accidents. And when you get into the boat, it looks so calm. But the reality is, whether you are young or old, you will not get to the other side without some storms. The reality is Jesus and storms go together. You cannot avoid the storms even with Jesus in the boat. Which leads me to second truth here. 
if you're going to understand your storm. Truth number two. This may amaze you a little bit, but obedience can put you in the storm. Obedience to God can put you in a storm. Now, there's another notion in Christianity today that if you obey the Lord, nothing bad is going to happen to you. If you obey the Word of God, you will have blessing and not adversity. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who came up with the idea to get into the boat? It was Jesus. Who asked the disciples to go onto that boat? It was the request of Jesus, and it was in the will of God. And they were right where Jesus wanted them to be. And so this story tells us that we can be exactly where we should be, doing exactly what God wants us to do, and still find ourselves in a storm. And yes, disobedience can put you in the storm, but so can obeying the Lord. Incredible struggles come to those who follow Jesus. Now, the New Testament keeps trying to tell us this. Does this sound familiar? Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How about this one? 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. (laughs) We're such slow learners, aren't we? We don't want hardship in the path of following. But I tell you again, We can be in the will of God, and a storm can arise and hit us like a ton of bricks. And if you do not understand that obedience can put you in a storm as well as disobedience, you will be very disillusioned and disappointed with God when the storm comes. I just want you to know, sometimes you follow Christ through obedience into a storm. But here comes a third truth you have to realize. It gets better. Truth number three. The Lord is always present, always present with us in the storm. Now, where was Jesus when the storm came? He was in the boat. He was right there. He hadn't abandoned them. But what was Jesus doing? He was doing something we all wish he wouldn't do in a storm. What was he doing? Sleeping. I happen to think he was even snoring. Let me ask you a question. When storms invade your life, do you like a sleeping Jesus? I don't. I want him awake. When everything is falling apart, when I am in grave danger, when I call out for Jesus, and it doesn't seem like he is there, seems so far away, and it seems you can't awaken him, that is a difficult feeling to have. But I want you to know he is there and present, and we're going to see what he will do. But none of us likes a sleeping Jesus in our storm. The disciples didn't, we don't. But I want you to know something. It's a good time for Jesus to sleep in a storm. Do you know why? Because because he is conscious of something we often forget. That God is sovereign and that God is in control and nothing can take us out of God's good care when he is in control. Not even a fierce storm. So Jesus wasn't afraid. He had nothing to worry about. Jesus knew that this storm wouldn't take him out of the plan of God to go to the cross. And I want you to know that to be where Jesus is, is to be the safest place in the world, even in your storm. 
One of my scariest moments was some years ago when Marie and I decided to go in the middle of winter to Chicago for a spiritual life conference, and a couple was going to go with us, and they drove up to our house on a snowy February morning in Erie. You know what they're like. So we get in the car, and David says to me, I got a brand new car. How would you like to drive it? I'm thinking, in the snow, you're crazy. But okay, I'll drive it. And I get in, we're going down the road. He says, by the way, I just changed insurance companies too. And my agent said to me, do not have an accident. Thinking, no pressure, new car, and no, no, okay. So, so we're driving down. It's getting worse and worse. We get to Cleveland. There are cars and trucks all over the place and the median, the ditches and everything. And you know the big S curve in Cleveland? So I get to the other side of the big S-curve when all of a sudden I lost control of the car. I went three spins across three lanes of traffic. I didn't hit a truck. I didn't hit a car. I didn't hit a bridge button or a, a side abutment on the one side or the other. I had an accident without having a crash. <laughs> and while it was happening, I looked in the rearview mirror, and there was his wife with this expression, Oh, my gosh, we're going to die. And David was just there like smiling and confident and happy and calm. And when it was all over, I said, David, what in the world was going on? He said, well, I figured this. You're the pastor, and God's going to take care of the pastor, so if he takes care of you, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> Now, that's how the disciples should have felt, that the Lord's going to take care of Jesus, and if they're with Jesus, that they're going to be all right. Well, that's bad theology, but, but to be with Jesus is a good thing. But things happen to Christ as well. Jesus was in his number of storms. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to understand that when we live with the Lord, Galatians 2.20 is true. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And when Christ lives in me, he's with us, and he will never separate from us even in the storm. And so if the worst thing that can happen to us, even our death, Jesus is with us, and he will take us into heaven and present us before the Father. We will not perish. And so I want you to understand that when Jesus is in the boat with us, he's always present with us. He cannot leave us, even when he seems to be sleeping. And therefore, nothing can get beyond God's sovereign control. And I want you to know that you are safer with Jesus in the storm than without Jesus in the calm. And so, whenever you are in the storm, you have to realize that the Lord is with you and he will never leave you or forsake you no matter how much the winds may rage. But now this begs another question. Why does Jesus sleep when our boat takes on water and it looks like we might drown? Well, that leads to the fourth truth that we need to understand when we face our storms. While Jesus is sleeping, it teaches something very critical about us. And so here is truth number four. Storms show us the measure of our faith. Storms show us the measure of our faith. Now, storms have this way of bringing out the true nature of where our trust is. These guys were frantic. They were experienced in the water, but yet they were expecting to die. And I realize, I mean, I'm human too. Storms take their toll on human beings. It's so easy to think that God has lost control and that we're at the mercy of the storm. 
But when the storm is there and it seems like Jesus is sleeping, it tells us something about our spiritual journey. And Jesus put his finger on it immediately in verse 25 when he said to them, Where is your faith? The storms tell us something about our faith. Now, when the word faith is used in this fashion, it means a confident trust in God involving his power and will for us beyond what we can do or see. And so faith means complete reliance on God that he will take care of us in the storm, that he will not abandon us, and that we cannot use our own abilities because we are not powerful enough to do that. We must trust him. And so here's the point. Faith isn't strong when we can see and manage everything. Oh, how we like to do that. Our religion may seem strong, but our faith will be weak if we try to do all those things for ourselves. Faith only kicks in, friends, when we trust God to do for us what we cannot, what we cannot do for ourselves. So in the midst of the storm, when Jesus seems to be sleeping, We learn a lot about our faith. How strong is it? Now, in this case, the disciples had weak faith, maybe even absent faith. So I want to share with you what weak and absent faith looks like through this episode and experience of the disciples. First of all, in weak or absent faith, we focus on the circumstances or the situation. In the midst of the storm, we do with the disciples. We see the storm, but we don't see the Lord. I want you to know, as faith becomes stronger, we begin to focus more on the Lord and less on the storm. But there's a second sign of weaker, absent faith. It's this. We experience great fear. They were very scared and frightened, and they thought the worst was going to happen to them. But when your faith becomes strong, if the worst happens to you, you ask yourself, if the worst happened, why would that be good? Because we have Romans 8.28. For those who love the Lord, all things work together for those who love Him, and good will come out of even, and faith will tell you that. Number three, in weaker absent faith, we're frantic for an exit. We don't like suffering, especially Americans. And so we do everything we can to power ourselves out of the storm, usually in the energy of the flesh. But most of the time, we can do very little in our storm. But faith helps us to carry any cross through the power of Christ that may come our way. And the last thing we see in faith that's weak or absent is that we doubt God because he seems silent. Does God really care for me? Does God have my best interest at heart? We doubt if God knows what he's doing. But faith tells us that God is in complete control, even in the raging storm. And as the Negro spiritual says, indeed, he's got what? The whole world in his hands. He's going to take care of you. The storm isn't going to do you in. So mark my word, it is the storm quicker than anything else that shows us where our focus and our faith really is. But there's one more truth we need to know when we face the storms of life, and this one may be the most important one. Listen carefully. It's in the storm that we see who Jesus really is. 
Storms show us more than anything else in life who the Lord is. And so the disciples woke Jesus, and they pleaded for help. Verse 24, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Jesus spoke to the storm, and immediately the calm prevailed. You talk about power. Now, it's amazing how little the disciples knew about the one that was with him. Now, remember, they'd been with him for a long time, for a long season. And in verse 25, they ask each other, who are we dealing with? They've been with the Lord, but they hadn't seen this side. They'd missed something. And it was only the storm that helped them to see who he really was. And the same thing is true with us. Listen to me. We get our deepest revelations of the Lord in the times of our storms. We get our deepest revelations of the Lord in the time of our storms. And so times of storms are when we need to ask ourselves the question, not are we perishing, but who then is this? We tend to forget who Jesus really is in the calm waters. It's the storm that brings Jesus to our attention and puts us in a place where we stop taking ourselves so seriously and God so lightly. Now, the Lord did something for the disciples we wish he'd all do, he'd do for us. The danger was brought to the attention of the Lord. He spoke and it went away. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that I cry out to the Lord in my storm and most of the time it what? It doesn't go away. It hangs in there. And so what in the world is going on when most of the time today when Jesus speaks, the storm still continues? Well, this is it. Stopping the storm may be our highest priority, but it may not be the Lord's. So our high priority is, Lord, stop the storm. But the Lord wants to do something more. He wants to show us in many times that there is a greater power in giving us peace in the storm than stopping the storm. And he wants to show us a whole array of things that there is power even in the storm. Because you see, it's in the storm that we see God as our refuge. It's in the storm that we see he's our shield. It's in the storm that we see he's our strength. It's in the storm that we see he's our hope. It's in the storm that we see he's our provider. It's in the storm that we see he's our deliverer that we cannot save ourselves. It's in the storm that we find out who Jesus is and what he can do in ways we would otherwise never know. Does anybody say amen? Amen. We will see things in the storm we will never otherwise see about the Lord. So, are you in a storm right now? The question before you, again, should not be, am I perishing? The question should be, who then is this? And I want you to know that Jesus wants to show you that he is bigger than any storm you will ever face, even though he may not comment on your timeline. When you learn who he is in a storm, there'll be only one response. It'll be like the disciples in verse 25. They were totally fearful and amazed at this person, and they went from panic to worship. From panic to worship. When you get a glimpse of the depths of Christ in the storm, you will bow the knee and fear him and worship him. And so at the beginning today, I said that storms and Jesus go together. And the reason is because we see Jesus most clearly in our lives 
in the storm. And that's why the greatest worshipers in the world are those who have seen Jesus in their storm. Now I realize, as I said, in a group this size, a number of you are on the shore. You haven't even gotten the boat and things are calm. Some of you got in the boat with your friends. Jesus is there. Everything's cool. And the storms haven't come yet. And some of you are in the middle of a storm. You're in that boat and you say, oh, Lord, are we going to perish? And there's some of you who are on the other side of it now and say, wow, we learned a lot. We know the Lord deeper now and things are okay. We're just waiting for the next one, the next storm. I don't know where you are today, but I want to say to you that Jesus will never be more real to you if you allow it to be so than when you see him in the storm. Now, you might be saying, okay, the storms come to everyone's boat. What kind of storms might we be looking for? Let me give you a little list of many so you understand what might be coming even today when you're in the boat. Number one. A physical storm, terrible illness or handicap. I talked to someone after the service today, the first service. A storm has come upon them physically, a terrible one. Number two is a financial storm. You've got angst over insufficient funds. Number three is a marital and family storm, maybe fierce struggles in your family, or maybe a family member who's gone wayward. Number four, a career storm, stresses from your job. Maybe you've lost your job. Number five, emotional storms. You've got feeble knees. You're depressed, discouraged. You feel very wounded. Number six, emergency storms. Things were going all of a sudden. Something crashes into your life like a natural disaster, a fire, an accident. How are you going to face your storm? Your storm, listen to me, will never be an exception to the five truths that I talked about today. And your storm will either do you in or it will lift you up. When a storm comes, the eagle knows what to do. He knows the storm is coming, and he waits for the winds, and while he's waiting, he moves higher up, and he opens his wings. And when the storms come, he rises above the winds, and he lets the winds just take him as he soars. He doesn't escape the storm, but he allows the winds to take him higher and to help him soar above the storm so it doesn't take him down. And I want you to know, Jesus is the one that helps you rise above the storm. He gives you wings like eagles so that when the storm comes, you will not escape it, but you will be able to soar above it and survive and in the end give God glory. But you might be asking, well, do I have other options than being an eagle? And the answer is yes. You can be a chicken. A chicken is a nickname for someone who cowers in fear. And chickens aren't made for the storm. They weigh too much. They're too heavy to fly up and soar. And by the way, if you are in the storm and you want to be an eagle, don't hang out with the chickens. You'll get bruised. I want you to know Jesus wants to lift you up. He wants you to go through your storm and help you to understand that Jesus can help make you soar over your storm like an eagle. And when your storm comes, it might be today, be an eagle. Do not be a chicken. Father, we're so amazed at the relevance of your word. So grateful that you teach us lessons through the life that you live with your disciples, that today we as disciples can follow in your footsteps and learn lessons that maybe they had a harder time than we, or maybe we a harder time than them to learn. Father, if there are some in the storms right now, I pray that you would give them faith 
and consolation and courage and ability to rise above the storm. I lift them up to you, Lord. Oh, help them in their time of need. We're so grateful again that you are Lord of the winds and the waves, even though you might be sleeping in our boat. And now as we come to our time of giving, I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to invest in eternity because we've got a message of the gospel, not just of salvation, but also of how we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us even in the storm. So I pray your special blessing on the gift and the giver today in the name of Christ. Amen.